the Formula Spy Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Formula Spy Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Parker, and joining me today is the mastermind behind the Preston Parkway, the 18.5km circuit to rival the Nürburgring, it's Luke Murphy. Oh, hello Luke. And also <laughs> joining me is the last surviving ginger of the great heatwave of 2019, it's Thomas Marr. I survived! You did! You <laughs> did! Just in time for us to podcast for the fourth time. Uh, so last time we talked about the bottom five teams and how we think they've fared so far in the 2019 season. Who's flopped? Who's... I really can't finish that without making it into an innuendo. So we'll be looking at the top five teams and there are a few surprises up here. So we're going to start with Toro Rosso, who uh, scored 43 points overall. Best result, third, Kvyat in Germany. Uh, Thomas, we'll start with you. Toro Rosso, let's dive in. I'm pretty impressed by them. Uh, I think last year with them running as a kind of test bed for Honda has uh, proven beneficial. I think they're still test guinea pigs for Honda, but uh, I think that the kind of more symbiotic relationship between Honda and the the two Red Bull teams has meant that uh, Toro Rosso are one of the main beneficiaries of what looks like it's becoming a very successful relationship. Uh, Daniel Kvyat has come back uh, a very, very competent uh, upper midfield driver, and he's had some great drives so far this year. Uh, Alex Albon has been one of the surprises of the season in that uh, he's pretty much all but matched Kvyat throughout the year, despite his lack of experience. And of course, I think it should be highlighted that um, Albon's uh, 2019 has come about as a result of Nissan, and in particular, Jean-Paul Drio as well, uh, you know, playing ball over the winter break last year and allowing Alex Albon to go off and join the Red Bull uh, junior team. But their uh, their on-track performances have been, you know, a little bit up and down. They're not, they're not absolutely guaranteed points finishes at all. But uh, on the few occasions where they've had opportunities to, to score points, they've done so. And uh, I think they, they're looking like definitely one of the, the very more competent uh, midfield teams. And, you know, not a bad proposition for a junior driver to be in. And, um, yeah, that, that's why I think Pierre Gasly could be struggling to hold on to his seat next year now, now that he's been demoted to Tor Russell, because there are going to be a lot of people, you know, who want to get into that seat for next season. Okay. And Luke, we're, let's talk about uh, Gasly, because obviously he swapped with Albon. Um, interesting move. Yeah, absolutely. It's come out over the summer break, as we all know, Albon and Gasly switching seats. Albon promoted to Red Bull and Gasly subsequently demoted back to Toro Rosso. It's, it's, it's a bit of a shame for Gasly, to be honest, but... I think, as everyone's really noticed, he hasn't really been on the pace. In fact, he's been nowhere near the pace of Verstappen. I don't think there's really any use sugarcoating it. Um, Red Bull have been constantly saying that he was going to be given the entire year. And they were quite right to say that in front of the press. But I think in the background, there was always going to be question marks. And Red Bull, whilst they're in this kind of in-between season, they're not really challenging for any championships. They can experiment with the driver lineups. And they have done accordingly. I think Albon has been very impressive, but I think I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Pierre Gasly recovers from this because the same happened to Daniel Kvyat a couple of years ago, and famously he didn't really recover. Had a year out of Formula One last year, and has only just been called back up to Toro Rosso, pro- probably due to the fact that Toro Rosso didn't have any other drivers to call upon 
I don't think I'm too I'm being too out of line by saying that. I think he was. I think no, no, yeah. I, I think Kvyat was probably mm. um, a, maybe a, a tad fortunate to get back in into the seat, but it was. But he's, he's making the most of it, and now Gasly needs to. If he's to have a hope of being considered for any kind of top drive in the near future, I think he needs to be getting onto Danny Kvyat straight away and proving that he can recover from a setback and really try and fight his way back through to being in contention for a top drive again. I think uh, I think Gasly's got to really, really dig deep because his confidence is going to be really low. And the pressure is going to be even greater than it was at Red Bull because he's got a, he's got uh, eight nine races to perform eight yeah. races yeah nine races to uh, save his career really because um, you know I, I think Alex Albon has been one of the surprises of the year he's been able to kind of you know match and keep up with Kvyat to a certain extent I think that's that's been the main that that's been the main fill-up for him okay and um, do you guys have uh, anything further? To talk about with Toro Rosso, um, I think it's just been it's it's been a really deserved podium for them because it's it's been a long time in the making. It's their first podium at the sorry, it was at the German Grand Prix where Danny Kvyat got his yes. spectacular podium finish, and on the same weekend, you know, he, he announced that he'd become a father for the first time. So what a spectacular weekend for him! Um, and I think that's just a it's just a, a good a good reward for a, a, a team that's been one of the mainstays in Formula One and, and has had to be in the shadow of their parent team, Red Bull, for quite a long time. So it was just it was just really deserved and nice to see and and as a result they're up to fifth place in the constructors championship and hopefully they can stay there. I think they'll have a bit of bit of a tough time to keep Renault at bay for the for the entire season. But you know, hopefully they'll they'll have a chance of staying in there. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, do you boys have one word each to sum up Toro Rosso this season? Go with Lance. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say deserved. They've they've had some success, and I'd say it's oh. been deserved. Yeah. Good. I I I'll go with, I'll go with tidy. Right. You, you had longer, Thomas, yet you've not delivered. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we're going to move on to fourth place, a spectacular fourth place, considering what happened last year. It's McLaren with um, 82 points. Their best result is fifth, um, and that came from signs in Germany and Hungary. So, Luke, we're going to start with you on McLaren. Good start to the season. Yeah, very good start to the season. Um, consistent point scorers, um, regularly at the top of the kind of midfield battle in the, you know, as much as I hate using the phrase ahead of the, at the head of the best of the rest kind of category or formula 1.5 or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, they've been doing, doing really well. Um, yeah. Fifth and sixth place finishes, obviously in the, in the long term, it's not where McLaren wants to be. They want to be even higher up the grid, but compared to last season and indeed the, the seasons that were going before that, it's been a, a, a good a good recovery, and obviously they're they're ahead of the uh, the parents, sorry not parent, the uh, manufacturer Renault team, McLaren mm. being the the Renault customer team. So to be a couple of places ahead of them in the championship at the moment, and more than double their points, I think is a remarkable result. 
And I think I think it's down to in part their solid driver lineup. They've been Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris have been very very tidy drivers. Um, yeah, very very competent, and they've been duly signed on for next season as well. So it's um, yeah, signs that the recovery is in motion. It seems. Yeah, and happening a lot quicker than we all thought. And uh, Thomas, uh, McLaren have, have locked in their driver pairing really early. Um, that's a good thing. It has to be. McLaren are in a very good place at the moment, I think. Signs, uh, you know, I think Red Bull will be kicking themselves for releasing him at this point because he's been absolutely one of the stars of the year so far. He's finishing in the points far more often than he's not. And not only that, he's leading unofficially the uh, F1.5 championship. Um, Signs has been absolutely brilliant so far this year, as has Lando Norris. Um, you know, Norris had those kind of eye-catching drives a couple of races ago, particularly the one in France where he was holding everybody off despite having that developing hydraulic issue um, with his steering and his gearbox and everything. And, you know, I think Norris, he, he came into this year with the kind of attitude that he's going to learn far more from from being aggressive and pushing as hard as he can. And he's he's done that and he hasn't made any mistakes. And that, that's been absolutely one of the revelations of the year for me so far. The fact that Norris looks like a driver with about five years experience at this point. It's only 12 races into his career. Uh, McLaren as a team, they look well-rounded. The atmosphere looks to be good. You know, th- there's the whole elephant of, in the room of Fernando Alonso. How much of an influence has his departure had on the kind of the morale of the team after three or four years of, you know, being pretty negative about their performance? Um do we, do we want to address Alonso and you know the the effect that he's had on the team? I think it's a fair uh, thing to to raise. Um, Luke, have you got comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's it's almost like a like a cloud has been lifted from the team. There's there's just been a bar- barrage of criticism from Alonso for the last couple of years, and now that they've got two two drivers who aren't expecting to be at the front of the grid straight away. It's allowed McLaren that time to to develop and explore the what's wrong with the car and the directions they need to go instead of somebody kind of jumping up and down and stomping the feet and saying this needs to happen now. So I think it's yeah, it's, it's exactly what needed to happen. And unfortunately for McLaren, I think it's taken them a good couple of years to to realise it. But better late than never. See, the problem I think was that Alonso his stature was almost the same as McLaren. He was he was as big as the team, if not bigger than the team, for the few years that he was there. And th- this whole kind of fresh start with, with Sainz and Norris has allowed McLaren to kind of clear the slate, approach the year with a completely fresh approach, and it's working out for them. And I think that's why Zach Brown locked in Sainz and Norris so early for next year, because it removed <clears throat> any possibility of Alonso's name playing a part in silly season with McLaren and possibly destabilizing signs and ours at a time when they're really, really performing very well. So I, I think that was a very, very good management move from Zach Brown. And uh, he's to be commended for the way he's kind of guided the team. And, you know, as well, off uh, away from Formula One, McLaren look, you know, more aggressive, like a, like a racing outfit again. Um, with the announcement of their IndyCar um, attempt for, with next year with uh, teaming up with SPM Racing. 
And, you know, McLaren looks slick again. They look aggressive. And I'm very happy to see the, the return and the rise again of a team that deserves to be higher than they have been the last couple of years. Yeah, some uh, good recruitment uh, in management as well. Uh, James Key. Andreas well, Seidel as well was a was a yes. brilliant signing from the uh, WEC, Porsche WEC team. He has just brought a kind of grounded um, authority to to the team. And yeah, I think he settled very well back into Formula One. Okay. Luke, if you have nothing further to add on McLaren. No further comment. Then, excellent. <laughs> then we're going to move on to um, give me one word to sum up McLaren. Thomas, we'll start with you first. Revelation. Oh, renewed. Luke. Okay, we're going with a, a, a alliteration. <laughs> Next up, we've got third place. We've got Red Bull Racing um, with um, 244 points in third place. I think I've said that already. Best result, a win. Um, two wins, in fact, for Verstappen in Germany and Austria. Another solid season. Obviously, not right up there with Mercedes, but getting there. Uh, Luke? Yeah, it's... Talk to me about yeah, um it's it's a bit of a shame that they're not in the championship mix. Um they appear to have made steps with Honda compared to Renault. I mean, we all know how sour the relationship with Red Bull and Renault turned in the back end of last season. And I think if there was any issues with Honda, then we would probably have heard about it by now. Um or, or would we? I don't think Red Bull would have been as public with their displeasure of Honda because where else could they go, to be honest? Yeah. Sorry, I've, no. I've just worked that worked that no, out in my no head either. just now. Um, <laughs> That's fine. You you, <laughs> you, you do that. It, it, you, you, uh, you show us you're working. Look, like, in my head now, there's just a lot of ones and zeros going up and that going up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, Luke is a robot Uh, we we built him um, so (laughs) yes um, Thomas um, I I was was just going to summarise Verstappen's been brilliant Uh, Gasly hasn't so I think they were right to replace him and hopefully Verstappen's going to have going to be given at least a little bit more of a run for his money with Albon hopefully towards the end of the season when Albon's caught up a little bit Hopefully. And hopefully we've got a bit more of a, a rivalry developing between those two. Yeah. Thomas, do we see Red Bull challenging for the championship next year? Yes. I can see uh, Verstappen challenging for the championship this year. Oh, I didn't plan for that, but continue. I think uh, Red Bull started off this season in a conservative, um, we're finding our feet kind of way and have actually been kind of caught by surprise almost by how good Honda have been. While uh, I don't think the Honda power unit, I think the general consensus is that the Honda power unit isn't quite the match uh, for Mercedes or Ferrari power. The drivability of the engine has been a revelation. The reliability has been brilliant so far. And, you know, the performance we've seen over the last couple of years, Red Bull are able to win with lower-powered engines. And the RB15 is looks like it's getting better and better. Uh, Verstappen is only getting stronger as the championship goes on. And I think he's going to be a real thorn in the side for Hamilton in the second half of the year. Maybe not in Belgium and Italy because of the power demands. I don't think they'll go well for Red Bull. But if Verstappen can get to Singapore within 60, 70 points of Hamilton, 
I think he's going to close in over the remaining rounds. They, they're all kind of races that I think will play to the strengths of Red Bull. Singapore, Russia, Japan, Mexico, USA. They're, they're all races that I think Red Bull will have the match of Mercedes. And it's just a pity that Verstappen wasn't teamed up with someone, you know, relatively close to his level earlier in the championship. Because otherwise, I think Red Bull as a team would be able to compete with Mercedes as well. Okay. Uh, Luke, do you think um, Verstappen might might have fared a little bit better if he was pushed along by Gasly? I don't think so. I think he's I think he's sort of relishing in this in this one man team kind of scenario at the moment, where it's it's down to it's down to him to 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 do all the work to catch up to the Mercedes and sometimes the Ferraris. And I think when I think when he's posed with these quicker cars he probably just gets into a zone where he where he thinks no i'm not having that 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 car is quicker than me i'm just gonna try and extract everything i can out of this car to to give myself an opportunity to win and and i think yeah i think i think verstappen's yeah i think he's i think he's relished in being a being a one-man team and whilst that's probably not how red bull wants things long term um, I think he. I think he's gonna. You know, he's definitely gonna have to have the support of the number two Red Bull this season. You know, because you know, there's no point in them favouring the second car. Um, but I, th- I think he's. I think over the course of this season, he's certainly going to relish in just being a one-man band at the moment. I think Verstappen's been the best driver of 2019 yeah, so far. Agreed. Yeah. Good. Show. Yeah. Yeah. I. The only mistake I can really think of is his Austria practice crash he had a spin in germany in the wet but he recovered from that and it didn't cost him too much yeah yeah to, to, to win convincingly so i don't think it really counts really but wasn't wasn't austria because of the wind though because everybody was struggling there uh, yeah i think so yeah i yeah it was actually fp2 because Bottas went off as well and vettel spun as well during that session so i think wind was playing a factor in that one Always does, yeah. But it's it's just a case of I think it it actually kind of reminds me of the two thousand and nine season in a way. Do you remember Vettel with Red Bull? The first half of the season, you know, they they were being beaten by Braun, and just slowly but surely, Red Bull came into it with Vettel. And over the second half of the year, um, Vettel was the one that ate into Jensen Button's lead. Uh, the only problem is Braun weren't developing the car in two thousand and nine. Mercedes are very much at the top of their game as well. So I think Vettel or Verstappen will close in on Hamilton over the second half of the championship. But I think ultimately he'll probably have to wait till next year for a proper tilt. Okay. I think we're going to have to move on. But one uh, word to sum up Red Bull season so far, Luke. I'm actually going to say stagnant. Oh, okay. And Thomas? I'd be the opposite. I think it's momentum. Wow. Okay, where do we go with that? <laughs> we go to Ferrari. Oh, Ferrari, Ferrari, what are we? Okay, so uh, they're second place with 288 points, almost half the amount that Mercedes have. Their best result is second. They haven't had a win this year. Um, uh, Vettel got second in Monaco, Canada, and Germany, and Leclerc in Austria. Obviously, Leclerc could have won in Bahrain had he not had that pr- mechanical problem but uh thomas let's start with you with ferrari talk me through 2019 so far 
bit of a bit of a disaster, really, hasn't it? They were they were brilliant in testing, but you know that doesn't really count for anything. So all that pace just didn't really seem to be there once they got started. They went down this philosophy with with the car of being quick in a straight line, concentrating on power, and you know shedding their downforce a little bit compared to the last couple of years, and it just hasn't worked out for them at all. Um, they they've just looked sluggish. Um, out of sorts. I I think Vettel has driven as expected, really, for a man in his position. I don't think he's outperforming the car. I don't think he's really underperforming. Uh, Charles Leclerc has to iron out some mistakes that he probably shouldn't be making um, for the position he's in. Uh, I think with Ferrari being a little bit off the boil, I think some of the um, some of the spotlight has been taken off Charles a little bit. Um, uh, as the season progresses. So I think he's getting away with some of the mistakes that he wouldn't have gotten away with if Ferrari were championship challenging properly. But um, yeah, I think overall Ferrari are just in a kind of holding year. And I don't think they were expecting to be in that position at the start of the year. We all thought this is going to be the year Ferrari and Vettel really bring it to Hamilton. And, you know, they've just kind of taken a step back. They look disorganized. They look... Uh, kind of slightly directionless at the moment. But the one good thing that we can say about them is as the year has gone on, they do look a little bit more competent as the year goes on. The only problem is so do Red Bull and now they're getting tied up in a, in a fight for P2 rather than concentrating fully on attacking Mercedes. Um, Luke, do, do we think Ferrari can win a race this season? Yeah, I think they can win a race. I think as, we, as has been mentioned, they've, with them focusing on a bit more of the... the straight line speed which to be honest i think is a bit of a bit of a maybe incorrect way to do things to have a sort of one philosophy car but you know seeing as they have gone down that route i think they can probably look towards some of the more uh, power hungry circuits as a source of victory and um, the likes of spa and monza coming up there two immediate um circuits that that i think they should have a chance of winning in um regarding their kind of season as a whole um personally i would probably say the opposite uh, to what thomas said regarding the kind of driver expected performances i think i think whilst leclerc has made a couple of mistakes i think there's probably a bit more reason to expect him to do that whereas i think vettel we've seen a bit of a continuation of some of the problems that he had in 2018 where he kind of got himself into scenarios where he was Throwing, throwing results away, really. I mean, I think, um, you know, there was the big one at Silverstone where he just had a bit of a brain fart and just drove straight into the back of his tap. Oh, yeah, that was, that um, there was the, yeah. um, uh, just at the top of my mind, there was the, uh, the, obviously there was the Canada incident and sort of leaving the, leaving the penalty aside, he probably shouldn't have made a mistake in the lead. You know, or not that he shouldn't have made a mistake whilst in the lead, but he did. So, you know, that's another kind of strike against his name. And also in Bahrain as well, he was um, he was a net second place uh, behind Charles Leclerc and should have been the car that was there to inherit the lead when Charles Leclerc had the uh, had the problems that he had to take him out of race win contention. But it was a, a mistake that he made whilst under pressure from Lewis Hamilton that 
ultimately put him down the down the field in that race as well. So so yeah, I I, I think I think once Leclerc gets his act together a little bit and stops the kind of maybe more rookie mistakes from happening, then I think he's going to be really pushing Vettel along and eventually giving Ferrari something to think about with regards to their driver lineup. Not straight away, but longer term. Mm. Oh, t- Thomas, um, I want to talk about like uh, management of Ferrari because you said this seemed a bit disorganised. What do you think uh, Matteo Benotto's... Um, I, have I said the name right? Yeah. Benotto, Benotto. Yes. What do we think... Um, Benotto. Okay. Benotto, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We'll <laughs> cut that out. Um, <laughs> what, what do we think? Because he, he obviously hasn't been in charge of Ferrari for long. Is it about a year now? Is it? Did he take over halfway through last year? Uh, over the winter break, he took over. Over the winter um, break. Shortly after the, the last race uh, last year. So he's got a mammoth task on his hands. How 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 did Ferrari recover from this? Um, well, they're bringing back Simone Resta from Alfa Romeo, uh, and he'll be starting back. Actually, I think he started back next week. Okay. With um, with Ferrari, uh, and he's going to be concentrating kind of on the technical aspect of things. Uh, Benotto, I think, has been stretched a little bit too thinly. Uh, since his arrival, looking after the technical side and the management side um, in the departure of Maurizio Rivabene over the, the winter break. Um, I, I I think, yeah, I think it's just, uh, that's been the kind of crux of the issue, along with the change of uh, technical approach and design philosophy of their car. I think Benotto has just been stretched a little bit too thin and they're, they're addressing that. Okay. by bringing Resta back. So I think that that's one thing that they're doing right. And they're, they're, they're admitting now that they've made a mistake with the design philosophy of their car. So I would imagine for 2020, they'll kind of go back the other way a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think there's still reason for optimism, but I think 2019, just, I think they threw it away. Okay. Um, running out of time, but Luke, have you got any more to add on Ferrari? No, I think we've uh, covered it pretty well there, I think. Okay, so um, Luke, give me one word to sum up Ferrari so far this year. I'm going to sound like a bit of a, a, a uh, typical is the word I use. Go on. We'll allow it. Tip- yeah, typical. typical. It's It's become a bit of a pattern that they've sort of taken... Uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. So, yeah. Interesting. Thomas? Wasteful. <laughs> okay. Mercedes, um, 438 points at the halfway point of the season. Best result, obviously, wins for Hamilton in Bahrain, China, Spain, Monaco, Canada, France, GBR, Hungary, Bottas in Australia and Azerbaijan. But uh, in Germany, they did have a meltdown, uh, which was, well, the best race of the season. But um, uh, Luke, we'll start with you with Mercedes. Uh, class of the field? Yeah, definitely. They look like they've got a, a car that's, a, well, a car for all circuits, really. It's, uh, it's, it's quick in the kind of slower, intricate circuits, but still an absolute beast down the straights. So they've just undoubtedly got the quickest car in the, of the field and 
it's it's showing. Um, how many how many one twos have they had? Kind of six or seven this season. I think the only thing for me is just that it's been a bit of a shame that there's been no teammate rivalry there. Bottas was looking like he could maybe challenge Hamilton this season, but it but it's just kind of fallen away, and now Bottas is in danger of getting overtaken by Verstappen in the championship. So, so yeah, that's that's a bit of a shame, and it, you know it's, it's it's all good news for Hamilton because he's got a sixty odd point lead in the in the driver's standings, and obviously that means he's the firm favourite. But you know, you know what else can you say about Mercedes? It's it's for me they've become this almost like a, a pantomime villain type character where you know <laughs> you got bear with me where because because they've okay. been so dominant they've become this evil character and it's and it's the it's the size of the reaction to their success that ultimately shows how good they've been you know almost like when people were were hating on the Schumacher Ferrari dominance in the mid noughties that was just because they were an absolute machine that was unstoppable and we're just going through the through the same thing now and you know hopefully it's just part of the natural kind of toing and froing of formula one that means that there'll be a bit of a shake-up soon but you know for now i think we've just got to appreciate it for what it is and and they've done a phenomenal job you it was interesting that you mentioned the toing and froing because we've got an interesting uh, time period coming up uh, with uh the 2021 regulations uh, there's a there's a raft of technical things there's also um uh, the prospect of standardizing a lot of the parts could thomas could this ebb away of mercedes advantage um yeah and any major change of technical regulations means there's opportunities for for other people to find time to find opportunities to find loopholes and also for dominant teams to you know screw it up a bit so i won't say that we're hoping for that to happen to mercedes but we're certainly hoping for competition mm. and certainly hoping for teams uh, any team really to to close that gap um luckily i don't think we do need to wait that long because red bull honda and uh particularly with verstappen do seem to be coming on strong in that regard and i think once honda find a little bit more power I think that gap is is closing and it's closing fast, but only with Red Bull. I don't think Ferrari are anywhere near that yet. Um, may, maybe in 2020, but I think Ferrari are more likely to have to wait till 2021. Uh, Mercedes have just been so crushingly dominant. Um, Hamilton in particular. Bottas looks like he's falling apart as the season goes on and is increasingly desperate. But Hamilton is just this juggernaut of performance. Um, and even though he had a, a shocker in Germany, we're forgetting for the first half of that race, he was running away with it. Mm. So until he binned it and crashed it in a, a, what is a very rare Hamilton mistake these days. But I, I just can't see how Mercedes can be stopped anytime soon. And the only hope of competition we have at the front is Verstappen. Going back to the 2021 rules, I'm not even too sure that that would be enough to stop Mercedes because let's not forget they've gone through a couple of these regulation changes and come out of it smelling of roses. You know, they, we had the, uh, the change in the bodywork a couple of years ago, a few, you know, a few years ago that uh, started this whole thing was the, the regulation changes for 2014 to the, 
you know, uh, turbo hybrid era. You know, they, they were the ones to lead the charge from that. And let's not forget back in 2009, when they used to be brawn, Team Brackley used to be brawn, they were the ones to get the jump on everybody then. So they are a team that's that's proven to be really adaptable with new regulations coming in. And I really hope that doesn't kill everybody's yeah. optimism for 2021. But they are a dab hand when it comes to technical overhaul. Everyone's very hopeful about 2021, but this whole, uh, the delay of the announcement of the regulations till October has me worried. And I think the drivers are worried as well because they all think that basically the the teams are going to push their own interests. And Mercedes are one of the most powerful players in Formula One. What with supplying three of the teams on the grid, uh, they, they don't want the status quo to change too much. So... In terms of the the regulations, Mercedes and Ferrari aren't likely to particularly want too much change. And with the teams having so much power, I, I don't think it's going to be the, the revolution that everyone thinks. And Mercedes and Ferrari just happen to supply over half the teams on the grid. So it's fair to say they might have a little bit of sway yeah. in their opinions as well. I think part of Part of that argument will probably come down to whether Ferrari think that they can catch up with the regulations remaining relatively stable. If Ferrari think, okay, these regulations, we can't get on top of them, then they might push for a change. Mercedes won't want to change at all. So um, I'm, I'm aware of the time, guys. So uh, let's let's have one word to sum up Mercedes, Luke. Um, immovable. <laughs> and Thomas? Crushing. Immovable and crushing. Excellent. So um, that wraps up our mid-season review. Um, I just want to end on a really quick question for you both. Um, Do you have a bold prediction for the rest of the season? Uh, Thomas, we'll start with you first. Uh, Raikkonen to sneak a podium. Okay. And Luke? Apart from that, nothing too surprising. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not like... uh, uh, I can't think of anything. I've got one more. Um, Ferrari won't win a race. Okay. That's not far-fetched, to be honest. Both of those, I think, are a a bit more left field than what my my thought was, but I'm going to go for Albon getting a podium. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, just to elaborate on my Ferrari one, I think Ferrari will probably lead in Italy and look like they're going to win the race, but will have something stupid like an engine failure or something like that, <laughs> and thus won't win a race at all. Oh, <laughs> oh well, this 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 is ending on a happy note. So, um, oh, well, Albon with the podium is pretty happy. Oh yeah, that made me that made me smile. So, uh, but also, uh, Thomas, you're you're heading off to Belgium next week, right? Yep, flying out on Thursday morning, staying in Liège, and yeah, looking forward to it. I think it's uh, going to be my first time at Spa, so I'm really looking forward is to it. Is it really? Yeah, for some reason, just Belgium is one of the ones that slipped through the cracks over the last couple of years. Okay, okay. Phenomenal circuit. Love that place. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay. So uh, you and Aaron, you and Aaron are going to be covering... Yeah, so on episode five in 10 days' time or whatever... Uh, myself and Aaron will be reviewing Spa and chatting about it with you. Excellent. And I will be catching this race as well because I've missed the last two because I was on bloody holiday. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
so there we go. I think that's the end of the episode. So uh, that rounds up everything. Uh, but we didn't have time to talk about Matteo Bonotto's wild weekend in Prague <laughs> or Valtteri Bottas buying shares in Quaker Oats. Um, however, you can catch all the latest F1 news and other bits on formulaspy.com. If you want to get in touch, you can on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash formulaspy. You can do it on Twitter. Uh, just search for at Formula Spy. You can uh, Instagram us on uh, Formula Spy. I sounded so old there when I you can uh, Instagram us. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. And it's goodbye from my stalwart colleagues and friends. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. The Formula Spy Podcast. Music by Building Giants. Check them out on Spotify.